Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Thursday, July 30th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Actually, July 30th today. What is time during a pandemic anyways? NASA launched their latest Mars rover into space this morning. More details on Perseverance, its mission, and the origins of its plutonium battery. Archaeologists have confirmed the origin of some of the stones from Stonehenge. A few studies are showing that masks protect the wearer as well as others, plus some bathroom humor-tinged mask science. And the startup creating clean water out of thin air for the Navajo Nation. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. NASA's Perseverance rover launched this morning from Cape Canaveral, Florida, on its way to Mars. It's expected to end its 300-million-mile journey around February 18, 2021, landing on the Jezero Crater, a 28-mile-wide ancient Martian lake bed just north of the planet's equator. Perseverance, a six-wheeled, 2,200-pound rover roughly the size of an SUV, is primarily on a mission to find evidence of life on Mars that may have existed about 3.8 billion years ago. And it'll do this by searching for ancient microbes and also by drilling samples from Mars's surface and leaving those samples at strategic points around the planet to be picked up on a future mission, since Perseverance cannot return them to Earth itself. That follow-up collection mission could be at least a decade away, however. And another cool feature of this mission, Perseverance is decked out with a microphone that will enable us to hear what Mars sounds like. The 15mm microphone's primary purpose is to identify types of rocks based on the sounds that they make when Perseverance shoots them with a laser. But of course, it will have the added benefit of being super freaking cool. Though, as Mashable points out, even though we'll likely hear things like the whoosh of wind and swirling dust devils, they won't sound like they're analogs here on Earth because, quote, the Martian atmosphere is much thinner than Earth's, and it's also composed largely of a different gas, carbon dioxide. Earth's atmosphere is mostly nitrogen and oxygen. A thinner atmosphere means sound has less of a medium to pass through. Space and the moon, places with no atmosphere, are soundless. So Martian sounds will be quieter and won't travel nearly as far as those on Earth. A scream on Earth traveling over a kilometer would journey only some 16 yards on Mars, end quote. And the pitch will also be altered. Because sound speed is slower, sounds will be a lower pitch. Quote, a higher-pitched zap or pop that we expect to hear on Earth will sound more like the lower tones of the toms on a drum set, end quote. In addition to the microphone, some other items on Perseverance's cargo include, quoting The Verge, a tiny helicopter, which could become the first human-made vehicle to take flight on another world, Five pieces of NASA's future spacesuits are also hitching a ride to test out their durability on Mars. Engineers also packed fragments of a known Martian meteorite into the rover, sending a small piece of Mars back home. And three microchips filled with nearly 11 million names are on their way to Mars 2, part of NASA's Send Your Name to Mars campaign, end quote. Perseverance is, quoting the Wall Street Journal, the most complex off-world vehicle NASA has ever launched, end quote. And likewise, it needs to pack a punch, which is part of why Perseverance is the first ever to be powered entirely by American plutonium, specifically plutonium-238. Quoting Wired, 
At the heart of Perseverance is a small nuclear battery the size of a beer keg called a radioisotope thermoelectric generator, or RTG. Unlike the nuclear reactors that create electricity on Earth, RTGs don't have to initiate or sustain a fission reaction to generate power. They don't even have any moving parts. Instead, they passively harvest the natural heat produced by the decay of the plutonium-238 and convert it into electricity. They can reliably provide energy and heat to a spacecraft for decades. The two plutonium-powered Voyager probes launched in the late 1970s are still transmitting from interstellar space, and have been NASA's go-to power source for more than two dozen deep space missions." End quote. Curiosity was the first Mars rover to use nuclear energy. Sojourner, Spirit, and Opportunity all used solar. But even then, the U.S. stockpile was dwindling. Due to the U.S.'s adherence to disarmament protocols in the 1980s to stop producing all forms of plutonium, so the plutonium in Curiosity came from Russia. Even though plutonium-238 isn't used in nuclear weapons, like plutonium-239 is, the idea of borrowing plutonium from Russia is still a risky geopolitical move. So in 2011, the U.S. started making its own plutonium again, with NASA footing the entire bill after legislators denied the request to split the bill with the Department of Energy. Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee leads the initiative, although it takes the efforts of both the Idaho National Lab and Los Alamos National Laboratory to complete the process. And if Oak Ridge sounds familiar to you, that's because it's the city that was established by the U.S. government in 1942 to serve as the home base for the Manhattan Project. Eventually housing 75,000 residents come employees, very few of whom knew what they were actually a part of. This, as it was dubbed, Secret City, was built to be a middle American paradise, with all of the amenities of the time. Plus guard towers, a perimeter fence, and a cheery billboard featuring Uncle Sam and the See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Speak No Evil monkeys, which read, What you see here, what you do here what you hear here, and what you leave here, let it stay here. Yeah, a bit ominous. Fortunately, a couple years after World War II ended, and after the residents of the secret city realized what they had been working on that whole time, the town was given over to its citizenry to run without the federal government's top-secret interference. But now it is back to some of its original roots, as Oak Ridge National Laboratory is intended to be the primary lab responsible for producing all of the plutonium-238 required for all of NASA's upcoming nuclear-powered missions, including the Dragonfly mission to Saturn's moon Titan in 2025. So, lots more to come from NASA in the coming years, and one last note on Perseverance— it may have company on Mars, because the U.S. isn't the only one sending a rover over there right now. The United Arab Emirates' weather satellite HOPE and China's Tianwen-1 mission, which includes a rover, are also expected to arrive on the Red Planet in February 2021. Speaking of all that digging Perseverance is about to do on Mars, we're still making some pretty awesome ancient discoveries here on Earth. Archaeologists have apparently found the source of the Stonehenge sarsen stones. Quoting Reuters, Geochemical testing indicates that 50 of Stonehenge's 52 pale gray sandstone megaliths, known as sarsens, share a common origin about 15 miles or 25 kilometers away at a site called Westwoods on the edge of Wiltshire's Marlborough Downs, researchers said on Wednesday. 
The sarsen stones make up the iconic outer circle and central trilithon, two vertical stones supporting a horizontal stone horseshoe at Stonehenge. They are enormous, said University of Brighton geomorphologist David Nash, who led the study published in the journal Science Advances. Stonehenge's smaller blue stones previously were traced to Pembrokeshire in Wales, 150 miles or 250 kilometers away, but the origin of the sarsens had defied identification, end quote. While centuries of researchers have believed that the larger sarsens did indeed come from Marlborough Downs because it's a nearby area with the largest concentration of sarsen in the United Kingdom, there was no definitive proof, and many harbored at least a bit of skepticism due to the fact that the Neolithic people, as demonstrated by the Welsh bluestones, had a curious and wide-reaching supply network. But in 2018, Robert Phillips, a man who had worked on the restoration of Stonehenge in 1958, came forward with a stone core that had been drilled out to insert a metal rod into one of the sarsens. The cores of the stones had gone missing immediately after being drilled out, but it seems that Phillips had at least some sort of permission to take it when he did. And the sample enabled researchers to cross-check with boulders in Marlborough Downs and confirm what had been suspected for nearly 500 years, that the sarsens did originate from just 15 miles away. The testing confirmed the origin of 50 of the 52 surviving sarsens at Stonehenge, but as for the origins of the other two, archaeologist David Nash said, quote, We will probably never know. We've all been hearing it for months. Unless you are wearing a properly fitted N95 mask, the wearing of a mask is more to protect other people than yourself. But more studies are coming out that suggest even the homemade cloth face coverings popular here in the US may actually protect the wearer as well, or at least lessen the viral load. Quoting the New York Times, Different kinds of masks block virus to a different degree, but they all block the virus from getting in, said Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at the University of California, San Francisco. If any virus particles do breach these barriers, she said, the disease might still be milder. Dr. Gandhi and her colleagues make this argument in a new paper slated to be published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine. Drawing from animal experiments and observations of various events during the pandemic, they contend that people wearing face coverings will take in fewer coronavirus particles, making it easier for their immune systems to bring any interlopers to heal. Dr. Sion Firu, an emergency physician at Columbia University who wasn't involved in the work, cautioned that the links between masking and milder disease haven't yet been proved as cause and effect. Even so, the new paper reiterates what we say about masks, she said. It's not just a selfless act, end quote. The idea that the amount of disease you're exposed to can determine how bad your outcomes will be is not new. Various studies have been done on various diseases since the early 20th century. A study from 2014 in which human subjects who had flu viruses puffed up their noses showed that those with more virus in the puff were more likely to get infected and be symptomatic. And quoting the New York Times again, that sort of experiment can't be done ethically for the new coronavirus, given how dangerous it is, but earlier this year, a team of researchers in China tried something similar in hamsters. They housed coronavirus-infected and healthy animals in adjoining cages, some of which were separated by buffers made of surgical masks. Many of the healthy hamsters behind the partitions never got infected, and the unlucky animals who did got less sick than their maskless neighbors. 
Some indirect data has been accumulating from people as well. Researchers have tentatively estimated that about 40% of coronavirus infections do not produce any symptoms. But when some people wear masks, the proportion of asymptomatic cases seems to skyrocket, reportedly surpassing 90% during one outbreak at a seafood plant in Oregon. Wearing a face covering doesn't make people impervious to infection, but these trends of asymptomatic cases could suggest that masks lead to milder disease, potentially reducing hospitalizations and deaths, end quote. Dr. Gandhi also points to the case of the Diamond Princess cruise ship versus another cruise ship which left from Argentina in March. On the Diamond Princess, which was before people were wearing masks, 80% of infected passengers experienced symptoms. On the other ship, which issued surgical masks to anyone who had a fever, the number of symptomatic cases was less than 20%. Still, these studies are just preliminary, and there are a confluence of other mitigating factors, but even the researchers who acknowledge that contend that wearing masks is a necessary part of good pandemic hygiene, in addition to handwashing and social distancing. And on its surface, wearing a mask makes sense. Your nose and mouth excrete the most particles that could carry the virus, and therefore covering them up helps you to not spread those particles. But when you dive a bit deeper into the science, it can get a little confusing, which leads some into the murky world of anti-mask wearing. But to clear up a little bit of the science, Lifehacker broke it down with the ever-professional science behind farts. That is, if you can smell a fart through a mask, does that mean virus particles can penetrate a mask too? So first of all, a lot of us are working with different mask materials and designs, but broadly speaking, quote, A recent paper on cloth masks found that various fabrics blocked anywhere between 5 and 80% of particles smaller than 300 nanometers. For larger particles, bigger than 300 nanometers, some fabrics worked better than others, blocking a range of between 5% to 95% of particles. Once you combine a few layers of fabric, though, the filtration efficiencies go way up. They found several combinations that filtered over 80% of the smaller particles and over 90% of the larger ones. End quote. Now, a fart, or rather the sulfur-containing molecules that cause a fart to smell, measure about 0.4 nanometers. The coronavirus has been found to measure between 60 to 140 nanometers. So again, a fart molecule is 0.4 nanometers, and the coronavirus is between 60 and 140 nanometers. In other words, the coronavirus is between 14,900% and 34,900% larger than fart molecules. Now, of course, coronavirus is known to travel on respiratory droplets, but those are much larger. Coughs usually produce droplets about 1,000 nanometers in size, and sneezes produce droplets 100,000 nanometers large. But there's also been concern about coronavirus traveling on aerosolized droplets, which are typically considered to be small droplets under 5,000 nanometers. Remember, the cloth mask study found that most fabrics blocked out particles larger than 300 nanometers, so 5,000 nanometers doesn't quite seem to be a big deal. But if you want to see all of this visualized, in a way, you should check out the video made by YouTube creator Uncle Rob, who hooked up a propane torch in front of a mannequin and stuck some starter fluid spray into another mannequin head, which he called his coronavirus gun, and shot the starter spray at various distances both with and without a mask on the mannequin to show how effective masks and distancing are. His YouTube video has yet to be peer-reviewed, but I think it still gets the point across. Link in the show notes. 
Ending today with some good news out of the Navajo Nation. At times this year, the Navajo Nation has had the highest COVID-19 infection rate per capita in the United States. And there are many reasons for this, but one is the lack of access to clean running water in many Navajo households. About 40% live without running water, having to drive miles to nearby towns to stock up or access a single spigot shared by hundreds of people. But startup Zero Mass Water recently partnered with local Navajo chapters and public benefit corporation Navajo Power to install 30 of Zero Mass Water's hydro panels, which use sunlight to absorb water vapor from the air. Last year, the company ran its first installation at a hospital in Kingston, Jamaica, And quoting Fast Company, the company's product called Source use a material science approach that absorbs water from the atmosphere passively, says Cody Friesen, CEO of Zero Mass Water, who is also an engineering professor at Arizona State University. Nanomaterials inside each panel absorb vapor from the air, and then solar power pushes the water into a reservoir where minerals are added for taste. Then the water can be sent by pipe to taps inside, end quote. Each source hydro panel can make up to 3 to 5 liters of water a day and store 30 liters of water, crucial for when overcast days limit production, and the panels themselves last for 15 years. To outfit all Navajo homes in need with source hydro panels would require 40 to 70 million dollars. But the Navajo Nation received $714 million from the CARES Act, and getting access to running water for hygiene purposes would absolutely fall under relevant spending of that. Jerry Williams, president of the Lichi chapter of the Navajo Nation, was skeptical at first, but now wants to get the technology in as many of the chapters and communities as possible. He said, quote, I'm hoping that each of the 110 chapters can at least utilize some of this equipment. I know there's a lot of people that live off the grid, that live 6, 7, 10 miles off the main waterline. I know that there is need, end quote. That is all I've got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow.